Files, we got news, we got clips, what you really wanna know? Uh, entertaining guests, ain't no telling who you might see. Entertaining guests, like it ain't telling who he might be. You can say anything in your rap if you really heat, like bada boom and bada bada bow and bada bada bean. If you join the show, then you might run a little couple things. Like I'm trying to make this bar rhyme with positivity. Like I'm trying to say I'm unselfish with magnanimity. This show might just change somebody's life with the possibility. And now, podcasting with pride from a downriver suburb of the greatest city in the world, Detroit, Michigan. It's Wednesday night. Welcome back to Bright Side of the Hump. We're here to get you on that glide of the weekend, and it's a short week since we celebrated the greatness of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on Monday, and hopefully. We took some of what he shared from his cup to do our part to make things better. We have a real treat tonight as prolific author Andrew Davey joins us to share his story of survival. First, though, we all want to help other people. What I've learned is that if you're going to help someone, you've got to meet them where they are. Crisis Text Line does that. Let's face it, young people and a lot of us older folks, too, have become far more comfortable with texting, especially in uncomfortable situations. So Crisis Text Line provides support to people in mental health crisis through access to counselors via text. Simply typing HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741 gets a person in crisis connected to a counselor who can share mental health resources with them. It's a wonderful, practical, life-saving service, but Crisis Text Line needs your help. They need volunteers, money, and help getting the word out about their service. All the information you need to help is right on their website, crisistextline.org, and you can go to the webpage for this podcast and click on the donate link, which takes you directly to that site where you can get all the details on how you can help. I know you want to help, so help. Brightsiders, we are extraordinarily fortunate to be joined tonight by our guest, the author, Andrew Davey. We're fortunate that he's willing to share his story with us, and he's fortunate to be here to share it with us at all. You see, Andrew suffered a traumatic brain injury in 2018 that disrupted his extraordinary career in teaching. What followed was a long hospital stay followed by intense and lengthy rehabilitation. Andrew's career in teaching began during the time he was earning his Master of Fine Arts degree at Adelphi University near his childhood home in New York City. He taught English and writing at colleges in Hong Kong and Macau, where he was on a Fulbright scholarship then returned home to devote his teaching skills to high school students with learning challenges in Virginia. Then his world was rocked and changed forever. Four years later, Andrew is flourishing as a writer, podcaster, and soon he's going to begin a career in counseling where he can merge the experience from his own emotional and psychological challenges 
with his consistent devotion to helping others. He's also a musician with a unique throwback to an old hair curling genre. You can find all of his current going concerns at andrew-davy.com. That's a hyphen, not an underscore or a slash or anything like that. It's andrew-davy, D-A-V-I-E.com. Finally, on the first page of his memoir, he shared his teenage dreams of one day losing his virginity to Linda Fiorentino and winning the state championship in wrestling, just like the main character in the movie Vision Quest. Well, for us here at Brightside, that almost feels like more sim than coincidence with last week's episode. I'll play that clip. All right, first, I'm going to play a legendary rock song by the band Red Rider, known for its intro as much as anything. Oh, this here's a good one. They use this one in that wrestling movie. The one where that gal who was a singer molests that high school boy. And then that boy, he climbs up that rope. By the way, later in his memoir, I learned the term Mondegreen from Andrew which is what you call a phrase like Little Teeny Fridge or Rad Dog Shangashanga Doobie or Ghost Man. The recording of last week's episode occurred well before I researched Andrew's background or read both parts of his memoir. So quite an extraordinary uh, bit of, of sim-like activity. Uh, Without further ado, I offer generously for quenching your orgasmic desires. Please welcome Andrew Davey to Bright Side of the Hump. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I, I a couple of things that were that I was thinking about. Uh, the first is that's probably the best introduction I've ever had or will have. So I really appreciate that. Um, Glad to. Second, uh, I became fascinated with a concept called synchronicity, which is very much what you're talking about, uh, where, where you imagine that things have uh, some sort of, or they've been ordained. The fact that you played Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider, and that features so heavily in Vision Quest, which I'd written about. So it's incredible. Extraordinary. Yeah. And I understand you couldn't hear the other side of the clip. The clip is essentially uh, we had Carl Childers on as a guest last week. And I don't know if you, Carl Childers was the, the main in character Slingblade. in Slingblade, but we had the actual Carl Childers here and he uh, had a Mondegreen for Slingblade that was a uh, little teeny fridge or something like that. Right. And so, right. Uh, but what he comments on is how it was from that movie where that, uh, singer molests that high school boy and he climbs a rope. You know, that, that's, that's, I mean, there was, there was a great, uh, a great Twitter feed that I knew about years ago where it said, please describe a movie in the, you know, in the worst way possible. So singer molests boy as he climbs the rope. That's, 
one of the all-time greats. There you go. That's Carl in a nutshell, right? A simplistic view of what has happened in the world. Right. Um, gosh, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to lead off with with what I, I think is uh, extraordinary about you. Plenty of things are extraordinary about you. But Andrew, on Friday, June 29, 2018, you're at Ronald Reagan International Airport. Uh, you're a teacher and school's out for the summer. And trust me, people who think that school being out for, for the kids is a big deal, it's equally, if not more, as much uh, for the teachers to have be out for the summer for school. So you're on cloud nine. You were flying to South Carolina to see your family. Can you share with us what happened next? Yeah, well, so there, there are a few things I didn't put in the memoir that are also... Uh, so I actually had not renewed my contract to return to the school to teach. I was going to okay. try to pursue a PhD. So not only was I on cloud nine about being off for the summer, but I thought, okay, the world is my oyster. I'm, you know, and the night before I had gone to see, um, two bands that I really like a band called Lopan and ASG, uh, play in DC. So it was sort of like, um, I was ready to decompress. The school year was out. Uh, I really enjoyed teaching the high school students I had, but kids with learning differences and ADHD, they drain you. Um, so I remember feeling fine until I got to my gate, and then I just started to sweat uncontrollably. Um, and this is 2018, so there's no COVID, no nothing. And all my thought was is, oh, I, I might be getting the flu or, or something like that. Uh, and then I tried to lift my bag and I remember thinking it felt like it had cinder blocks in it. And I was like, okay, this is, this is in hindsight, these are serious red flags. But at the time I was like, eh, I'm probably just coming down with something. I'll take a nap on the plane. I'll be fine. Uh, and then I scanned my ticket and I started to board and I, the floor started to shift. And I, that's when I remember thinking, okay, this isn't, this isn't good but I wasn't, again, I wasn't thinking clearly. I thought I'll have to get momentum so that I can get on the plane. And then uh, I did a, a nosedive. And fortunately, you know, it, it was it was out in the open. Um, first responders were able to get to me very quickly. And uh, the only thing I said before I passed out was I can't miss my flight. Because all I thought about was how uh, it, it was. So my parents... And my brother and his family were already there. So everyone was in the same place. Um, So all I was thinking about was, oh, my God, they're going to be so miffed that I missed this flight. And I guess one of the um, uh, one of the EMTs laughed and said, don't you know, don't worry, you you can catch another flight. And then uh, and then, yeah, and then uh, the next three weeks are uh, I have no memory of. And you, if that had happened in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. If that had happened at home. Yeah. If so, I remember I read uh, Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy, uh, was supposed to be on one of the flights that crashed into the World Trade Center. Right. Uh, And and because he'd been drinking the night before and his uh, um, travel agent had given him the wrong information. So he said, 
you know, ever for like the first year afterwards, all the questions were, oh my God, do you ever think about it? And he said, I gave myself time to think about it and process it, but then I've sort of moved on because it's just a, a rabbit hole you keep going down. So yeah, if if I'd been on the train, in the bathroom, any I mean, any if any of the events had been slightly different, then I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you right now. Um, yeah. which was one of the things that I needed to work through in the last five years or so. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the, that's what got me interested in philosophy and causality and synchronicity and things, you know, things along those lines. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a razor's edge that I managed to time it. You know, I didn't do anything, but, Right. The, the fact that the events happened the way they did. Amazing. Well, I, I it's it's uh, obviously heartwarming to know you're here talking and able to share this story. It's uh, it you know uh, to me your situation almost sounds like somebody getting struck by a bolt of lightning that comes from within their own body. Uh, did you have any prior warning signs? Was there anything that doctors were able to tell you like, well, this might've been why this happened or. No, I, it, it's funny that you bring up a lightning bolt because I think that's sort of the best comparison where it's just, you know, I think probably I might be genetically predisposed, but no one, <clears throat> no one said anything about that. Um, so I think it was just one of those things that happens, you know, one in a million, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I think from what I from what I understand, there are other other things that can cause like uh, uh, heavy cocaine abuse can bring about a, a ruptured aneurysm, um, which was interesting to discover because that's never been something I've been interested in. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just you know uh, bad luck, but yeah. um, but if we're gonna measure luck. I'm I'm still well ahead with how everything kind of played out. Even even though I had a couple strikes against me, you know, I ended up uh, making it through. Well, that's yeah. your your two memoirs, uh, uh, or two parts of the memoir, however you want to. The the one is Land of Illusions, which you have a penchant for alluding to things, right? To old uh, to quotes and things like that. Uh, and then the other one is playing with house money, right? Yes. And those are two apt things that, right? Like fit right with your yeah, situation. I, I, yeah. I, I had, um, when I was going to go to Macau to teach, I thought I would write a memoir about that experience. And because I make so many pop culture and movie references, I thought land of illusions is a great title. Uh, yeah. and then the aneurysm happened and I sort of figured I'd shift the focus and make it more inclusive of just everything. Uh, and then playing with house money, I thought would be specific to just the latter stages of recovery. Cause I feel like with any kind of trauma, people do a great job articulating what the first year is like and focus on the physical recovery. But, um, there's so much, you know, it, it's essentially like you're starting your life over again. So, uh, people don't really talk about what year five looks like or year four. Um, and it's not as uh, difficult of a physical recovery anymore, but 
uh, emotionally, you still need to adjust to everything. So that's that's sort of why why I wrote that. Why I put an addendum in. I was like, I I want to continue telling this story. Oh yeah. Do you feel like uh, it helps you to revisit uh, that you feel like on balance it's been more fortunate than less fortunate so that it helps you uh, not fall back into like, why the hell did this happen to me? It, well, it's, it's been, it's been a while since I've, I mean, I, I don't know if I really had a, why did this happen to me type moment? The, the first, the first year or so of the recovery I was pretty much on autopilot, just following directions, you know, going to different, you know, following, doing my physical therapy exercises. Um, for some reason, my abstract thinking wasn't, wasn't really good. Uh, so I would, I would have to do worksheets for speech language pathology, um, where you'd need to infer information. Uh, and I couldn't do that. And then one day it kind of all came flooding back, uh, which, was wonderful, but then I began to think the rest of the recovery will be like that. It'll just be these grand revelations that happen overnight. Um, and then, you know, and then you start to be, you start to consider like with any kind of trauma or any kind of major life change, you start to think more about the philosophical elements to it. Um, my, my biggest problem now uh, I'm fortunate my I, my balance isn't 100%, and my vision takes time to settle when I move my head, uh, but I don't get nauseated. I'm like, it's sort of like, I, I suggest it's like being a human bobblehead. Um, okay. But uh, what, I, what the biggest sort of hurdle was uh, none of the goals that I'd had, like teaching or writing, seemed like they would be extremely worthwhile to pursue, uh, afterward. Um, you know, I, I had wanted to start a family, but now I didn't really, that wasn't, again, that wasn't a top. So it became, well, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I, you know, and, and so much of it too was, um, undoing a lot of the conditioning that I think we have as we grow up about what's important. Um, so, I also look at the aneurysm kind of as a silver lining that it allowed me to step back and kind of reevaluate everything. I mean, that's the uh, right around. I know I'm kind of meandering here a little bit and I apologize. No, you're great. This is um, great. When COVID hit, right? But so I had gotten to a point where I tried to go back and teach at my old school as a sub. And I just, I felt like, uh, a prison guard who just was, you know, had a mark on him. So I figured why not go to tutoring because it's the same type of thing and it's a more structured environment. So I found a place near where I live that was like a tutoring center. And I, uh, I applied for the job. I went in, I got the job that was going to start for me April of 2020. Um, so it got canceled before it even began because of COVID uh, I ended up moving back in with my parents for about a year and a half. And it was during that time that I thought, okay, rather than just taking the same goals and trying to force them in, let's, what do you really want to do now that you have a chance for like a second act in life? What, what would make you happy? Um, sure. and I remembered the few times that I would feel really comfortable if I was having a bad day 
was if another person who'd survived trauma confirmed that what I was feeling wasn't unique or wasn't, you know, feeling less alone. And I thought, well, what could, is there anything I could do that would help other people feel less alone? And that's how I uh, discovered counseling as a, as a career path and made the switch. But, um, you know, a lot of it was also just recognizing that I have a chance to, to, for act two and so many people who I'm friend friendly with who had, who survived their trauma are unable to make the most of their second chance. You know, they have full-time caregivers or anything. So I sort of figured, well, I owe it to myself to be happy and try to find fulfillment, but I also owe it to all these people who would love nothing more than to go back to work and can't. Sure. Uh, so it's been a very, it's the, the, around year three, I kind of made a big breakthrough emotionally and I felt much more confident and, and comfortable with everything. Um, but I, I, I never, I don't think during the whole thing was there ever like a why me moment. Um, you know, it was always sort of like, okay, this happened. I've, I've, I've very much been, you know, within the last couple of years too, Buddhism has helped to with a recovery way and a lot of it is just sort of accepting uh, how things really are so for me it was kind of like okay well this happened how do we make the best of this situation um therapy's been really i there's various therapies i've had that have been really helpful um support groups have been really helpful uh and just time really i mean i'm i'm in june of this year it'll be five years yeah so but, the um, growth over time. I am not <clears throat> a student of Buddhism, but I, I think I've read enough tangentially from reading other things that isn't that the concept of Buddhism that we're all that it's I, struggle isn't the right word. There's a better word than than I that I believe, but that we're you know life is nothing but a struggle. Yes, yeah, right? so I think the um, so the word is dukkha which yeah. is, I guess, the Sanskrit word, which people think means, um, well, I just had the word, uh, suffering. But yes. um, but that's not really, the, the best translation for it is like dissatisfaction. So um, we typically want things to be a certain way, which yeah. which they're not. And that conflict between how things really are and what we hope they're going to be that's where you get that dissatisfaction, you know? So yes, life is dissatisfaction because you either want things to be different or you're so focused on why aren't they different that that's where the dissatisfaction comes from. Um, and it sounds really easy, you know, when you're talking about it to be like, Oh, well you just have to adjust the way you see things. But, um, but that's, you know, that's like a lifelong uh, but yeah, so I, I've, in thinking about that, that's helped in sort of being like, well, I, obviously I wish that, um, this didn't happen to me, but, um, but it did. And as a result, like now I need to kind of address how can I make the most of this sort of thing? And that's where the, that's where the movie quotes come in because there's always a movie quote that's applicable that that helps remind you know helps remind me. 
yeah, I'm similar to you. And I think a lot of people, like we're a, maybe a few years different, but uh, I think a lot of people in our generation feel that way. You know, I don't know if, di- I think dialogue just got so much better at a certain period of time and drove movies more maybe than plot, even in some some instances that we, you know, there's just so much dynamite dialogue out there to pull from uh, and reference. It's almost like Bible quotes were to people in the 19th century. Sure. Uh, the One of the things I'm, so uh, my aunt passed away in March of last year. So my uncle and I have been uh, FaceTiming each other every day, uh, which is really nice for the both of us uh, because yeah. we're both kind of supporting each other through a healing thing. But um, I watched The Big Lebowski with him and I frequently will quote that. And then the other day he quoted to me from the, and I was like, I took that as a bad, I was like, okay, now, now I can, ha- you know, now I'm sort of this, the student has become the teacher and uh, it was great. I think he said the rug really tied the room together. Tied the room together. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah. my work here is done. This is perfect. Yep. Phone's ringing, dude. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what led you to Macau and Hong Kong? Like that's extraordinary to me. You know, I'm a, I, I've stayed in the Midwest my whole life. Yeah. So I had, um, when I graduated from undergrad in 2000, I was a theater major. Uh, I moved back to New York with the thought that I would become a writer. Like I would, I would, it would be easy to find a job writing for television or, you know, writing plays or writing for film. And I would just, that would, would be what I did. So up until, I think until 2010, when I went back to school, uh, to grad school, I had just had jobs that paid the bills really. Um, like I worked in finance for a little bit. I worked as a recruiter for software programmers. I worked, uh, um, at a theater company. But then when I went to grad school, I had the opportunity to teach while I was there. And that was the first time I thought, okay, well, this could be a career, not just a job. But I also thought I, I, you know, my life, my life will begin as soon as I graduate. Like I'll be a teacher and then I'll do that for 50 years. And I was like, maybe there's something I can do as like a last hurrah. And I began thinking, what if I go teach abroad? That would be, that would be, you know, I don't, I don't have any obligations right now. Nothing is holding me down. I could just, so, uh, I remember that week there was a Ukrainian poet who came to visit our uh, practicum class who was in the U S on a Fulbright to do, uh, to do research and she kept talking about how wonderful the program was and how it allowed her to come to the US. So I remember thinking, oh, I'll look into the I'll look into the Fulbright program. Uh, and I think the deadline was in like two months. I think they they recommend not not to toot my own horn or anything. They think they recommend like six months preparation time. And I did everything in like five weeks. Uh, and Macau was one of two places that didn't have a language requirement. Okay. So it was either Macau or Malta. And mm. I remember I was talking to one of my best friends who lived in Hong Kong at the time. And he said, you know, Malta's great, uh, but it's also really, you know, it, it's really small. 
like you know it's an island right uh, right off of Italy so it's probably wonderful to be right. there for like a month or two months and then he was like but if you go to Macau that's like the gateway to Asia like Hong Kong is a 40 minute uh, ferry ride away and then you can just go anywhere so he sold me on Macau uh, and then I applied and I think I got the grant because I was in my 30s already with a master's degree and most people who do that are like 22 with no you know no experience like I already had 10 years of work experience and an advanced degree so I think they were probably like okay we'll give it to this guy because he's an outlier Um, yeah and then yeah and then I uh I was in Macau. I was just in Macau and I was like, you know what? I'm not quite ready to come back. You know, what are the odds I'll ever make it to the, across the world? Like, let me stay one more year. Uh, and I was able to find another, another position in Hong Kong. So. Amazing. A great experience overall. How do you. you Yeah, it was, it's. Macau is a really interesting place because, um, it's real. I mean, it's, it's, it's all just casinos. Um, it's really, it's the, it's, it's, I don't know if you've, you know, Las Vegas, I think now is a little bit more glamorous and family friendly. Um, Atlantic city, if you've been there probably is closer to what Macau is like where it's just, you just go there for the gambling. Yeah. So, um, it was, I mean, it was just surreal. Like, um, if you cross the street, they don't have lights. So the cars will just stop. And being from, being from New York city, that took like a week for me to get used to that. I would just cross the street and like the the cars just pull up and they stop. And that's, yeah. So that was really cool. And I mean, I had been out of the country before on like vacations for like a week or something, you know, to Europe, but, um, but yeah, this, I mean, it was just a, uh, and talk about movie, talk about movie. Uh, I was walking home one night and I was propositioned by a prostitute who said, me love you long time. Ah, oh, congratulations. And I it's was like, like uh, yeah. I, and like I was like, jacket. oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I was, I, for a second, I thought I was being punked. I was like, are you, right. what, is there, where's the camera? What's going on here? Yeah. How did you, how did you, so it was such a. But it was, yeah, it was really, it was really a unique opportunity to see the world. Um, I enjoyed, and then Hong Kong was great. Uh, it's, it was much more, uh, Macau is just, you know, it's like a sleepy fishing community with the huge gambling casinos. Right. But um, Hong Kong is like New York City, so it's a much bigger, yeah. uh, so that was, that. it was just a great, it was a great time. It's funny. That's it's awesome. funny. To, Funny to think that was 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Time flies, you know, it does. for the young people listening, they don't understand that, but trust me, it does. Uh, you are an exceptionally prolific writer. I don't know if you prefer author or writer. Uh, how did you get started writing? Uh, well, thank you. Um, yes. for, I'll take either. Uh, okay. that was always, even in high school, um, I think I'd always wanted to be a filmmaker uh, and write write screenplays. That was always my my desire. 
Uh, and then I think I realized once I started trying to write screenplays that it's a really wonderful collaborative medium, but I was just having trouble re like, okay, that means I need to find 15 other people who are willing to do this. And it just seemed like, again, not to toot my own horn, but th that no one was as excited about, I'm, I mean, I had, I made a short film with a friend of mine that was really wonderful. Uh, but also I was like, yeah, this is all, it's a lot to, mm -hmm. to dedicate yourself to. And then I thought, um, writing books, uh, or short stories that you can do, you don't really need as much to it. It's just you and the reader. Um, yeah. and the, uh, subprime mortgage crisis had just hit. So I was working in finance at the time. So that sort of pushed me in the direction of going back to school. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that I could. So um, that's really, you know, it was, it was sort of the young desire to, to write, to create things. Um, and I think, you know, so many people have that. I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, I think there may have been 15 people in my graduating class in graduate school and maybe myself and two other people are still doing, you know, doing anything creative. Yeah. Um, and I think that happens to, you know, most people, they, they just get sidetracked with other responsive, you know, people get married, they have kids, they take other jobs cause they need, you know, just things that right. preclude them from, you know, and, and, you know, people's dreams change. Sure you know, they like, like with me, like having to find new goals. But, um, yeah, but writing was, uh, writing was always something that I really enjoyed and wanted to do. Um, and then I was fortunate that I could still do it after, after the aneurysm. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, that's sort of what I do with my time. You know, if I'm not working on homework or doing school or, or, you know, basically trying to live life by, by sure. like li literally living life. Um, I'm yeah. writing or, or, you know, doing something like that. That's excellent. You have a voice, uh, you have a lot of talent and you have a voice. I think that voice, uh, is the thing that sometimes, you know, anybody can start typing things out and doing whatever, but they don't necessarily have a voice that you can, you can anticipate. But I felt like after reading your stuff, and I only read a small portion of it, I kind of had an idea of who you were and how this would probably go. And uh, that, to me, that's a great um, representation because that's the toughest thing for readers to be able to, to latch onto. That's how people, you know, are successful as writers is when the writer has a voice that the reader can attach to and go, all right, I want to hear what this guy's got coming at me next. And you have that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's, that's an extremely difficult thing. You know, when I, when I started, like, so you've read my nonfiction work, which is about yeah. my experiences, which is very, it, the voice is very different from like the crime fiction that I write. Um, All right. But, it, but even writing autobiographical stuff growing up, I wanted to be like Hunter S. Thompson you know, or okay. Charles, Charles Bukowski. So there was, okay. there was an element that I was like, that's the style. 
So my first few passes at stuff was very similar to to that. It wasn't very it wasn't as good because they 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 are really talented at what they do. Um, sure. And then I sort of discovered uh, my voice as you know. I'll I will tell these interesting what I find to be interesting anecdotes, and then I'll tie them into movies or whatever. Um, and, and you know, you just sort of you sort of just develop what you know what's going to work. Ba- you know, based on um, you know, I would have a, I'd get a lot of feedback from people early on who wouldn't either get the reference of the joke. Um, so, you know, you sort of figure out over time, like how to make it work. Sure. Sure. It's a learning process. All always, uh, would you say your writing has changed post brain aneurysm? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think the only thing that's changed really is that, uh, I had been really sort of hyper-focused on publishing previously. Um, you know, like in graduate school, I remember that was the goal, like get good enough to get your work out there. Uh, and now it's more just about finding the enjoyment in doing it. Yeah. So I try not to think so much about uh, if I get something out there, who's reading it, how are they reacting to it? I just sort of Think, think about the process and just focus on that. Very good. I, uh, it, you know, it took me a long time in life to get to that process over results uh, epiphany. Uh, but most of us come to it at some point. Some people never do. But, you know, uh, the process is the thing that you can control to some degree. Uh, results and whatever comes after the process are, are in the hands of others and the cosmos. Um, I grew up in the eighties and was a little bit of a metalhead switching gears here a little bit. Sure. Uh, because you're, you don't just write, uh, you know, fiction and nonfiction. Uh, you don't just podcast. You also make a little bit of music. So I grew up a little bit of a metalhead at times. Ozzy's still one of my favorite musicians of all time and concurrent in the eighties with the rise of metal music was like panic about satanic cults. And, you know, like there was always a weave of, you know, like bands kind of getting right up to the edge of trying to, you know, mostly posing uh, like Motley Crue shouted, like they're posers for, for, you know, the dark Lord and things like that. Um, it, but like that was fine with me because if I heard something like King Diamond, it scared the shit out of me. Absolutely. So like anything that was like overtly dark, not for moral reasons or anything like that, just because it scared the shit out of me. And so uh, when I think about, I should have followed uh, a little bit of your brother's advice to you about about something else that we'll we'll circle back to. But at any rate, all that being the context. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Van Damned and where does that music come from artistically? And maybe before you do that, let should I play the clip first of the song and then then we'll talk about that a little bit? Does that work for you? Uh oh, we're frozen. So, Brightside listeners, I apologize that my internet went out. 
You are hearing me now fill in the gap between when I recognized that it had gone out and when I was able to recognize that it was back on and log back into the studio where Andrew Davey was waiting. My computer recorded the audio the entire time. I lost internet at 36 minutes, 52 seconds, and we were able to resume the podcast at 47 minutes, 48 seconds. That is a total elapsed time of 10 minutes, 56 seconds. I'll let you do the math on that for a moment. That is 656 seconds. So definitely nothing to worry about, right? You there? Yes. Oh my lord. It was a local outage. So I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and I think we're actually recording. So uh this is great. I mean, come on now. Like get ready to yeah. talk about satanic music and the internet goes out like yeah, this. I mean, it couldn't, couldn't be more perfect. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to say. Uh, so let's just jump right in. I'm going to go ahead and play this uh, Van Damme song, the Van Damme song. And the, the title of the song is Satan. And uh, let me see if I can get it where you can hear it. Um, hopefully you'll be able to hear it if you can't. It'll still go on the recording, and you know what it sounds like. Yeah, song, yeah. I so. mean, it really, I, I've, I've listened to it so many times. There you go. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it. out there that was a van dam that was satan <laughs> satan satan <laughs> i love it okay i got one question the word in there yeah, is yeah. it is it blood that's like yeah, the one word okay all right very good uh feasting think, on souls <laughs> i think yeah i think that 95 percent of the lyrics are just satan death blood and doom that's, you know, so, when you got it right, you got it right, right? I'm reminded of Beavis and Butthead when they when they say, like, drums, guitars, death. They finally got it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, again, talk about in, in, inspirations and influences. Beavis and Butthead is definitely up there. But uh, yeah. there's, a great, there's a great clip 
you can probably find it on YouTube uh, of the singer Gull from the band Gorgoroth. Okay. And he's being interviewed on a documentary and someone says, you know, if you could attribute your success of Gorgoroth or your writing, you know, to anything, what would it be? And he's sitting there with a, a red wine glass. He's got, you know, he's like got a cup of wine and he's really thinking about it. And he just goes, Satan. <laughs> and that was like, that was the key. And then once I saw that, I was like, oh, well, that's the key. I'll just write like everything in the song just needs to reflect, uh, you know, Satan. Uh, yeah. And that was, that was like, I think so. Uh, a good friend, the same friend who made the short film with me, this guy, Johnny, um, he and I, he, he's a shoe designer by trade, but also someone yeah. who uh, wanted to be, a, you know, wants to make films and be a filmmaker. So yeah. we had this thing that we created called the Seagram Golden Wine Cooler Declaration, which okay. uh, was ba- so Bruce Willis years ago did uh, a commercial for Seagram Golden Wine Coolers, uh, which we found on YouTube. So it was it was kind of like a manifesto or the Port Huron statement in the Big Lebowski, where it was like. <laughs> Yeah, we would we would hold each other accountable to do creative projects weekly. It was like a it was like a way, you know, because both of us would sort of like be really driven and then we'd find things like reasons not to work on it always. So this was this was sort of like having that buddy who makes you go to the gym uh, when you don't want to. So the Van Damme came out of knowing that I needed to deliver something to the next meeting. And I was like, oh, yeah, what about that? What about that? Like, Because I think I had written the riff a while back, and I was like trying to think, how could I, you know, what what could I do with this? I and just then, love that, you know, that hop step beat. <laughs> you know, like that. I mean, that, that is. Yeah, I, I think that was. Um, you know, it was all done on GarageBand. Yeah. So except except for the guitar, which I had plugged in, I think that was just the keyboard drums of just like, yeah. you know, you, you, the J key is like the bass and the K key is the hi-hat. And Very just, familiar. Yep. GarageBand, Soundtrap. Yeah. Yep. That's part of the beauty of, you know, that genre is that, it, you know, you don't want it to be too tight or too precise. Like, you, right. you know, you want to hear, I mean, you can hear, uh, I, I mean, I think the vocals were recorded in a closet and you can probably hear the jackets being pushed to the side. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, but that's the sort of thing that you just let, you let go. You don't, you don't, Pro Tools will never enter into this equation. Never. That would ruin the art. That would right. ruin you, the art. That's not the point. No. Did you, uh, did you listen to or watch Mr. Show with Bob and David? Oh yeah. Ever? Yeah. Yeah. Titanic. So yeah. Titanic is a great band, you know, try, try, try again. But the, the, yeah. one of my favorite little bits in that is when Bob Odenkirk and David Cross are sitting in the, in a little, uh, cafe and David Cross is saying, I only listen to vinyl. You need to, you need to hear all the pops. Oh and yeah, shit. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to, yeah. That's, um, and he's, he's getting the, day, uh, Odenkirk's just bought the donuts. Yep. And he's like, Hey, you want to, the- you want to listen to this tape? I just, 
Yeah, you want to listen to his ears are blood on his ears. <laughs> you want to yes. listen to this CD I just bought? No, I only listen to music on vinyl. It needs the crackles and the pops. Yes. Some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's shit. great. That's, that's, yeah, that's it's well, it's you're absolutely you're absolutely right by the way. Like I was say I was uh I forgot what I was talking about with somebody, but I mentioned how when you do meet somebody who gets the same references that you, it's like it's like meeting someone from your hometown who speaks the same language, and you're just so thrilled to be able to speak your right. native tongue again. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Did you uh, tell me uh, the Van Damned? Uh, I guessed that it was devoted to. I forget what I told you, but you know that. I thought Jean-Claude had to somewhere figure into it after reading. Okay. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your devotion. Well, I think, I mean, I think it was just like figure fit, you know, I I may have been listening to the punk band, the damned. Okay. And then, you know, like watching blood sport or kickboxer and then just thinking, huh, how come no one has done the van damned? Exactly. I was like, it's, it's, it's been, it was just one of those, it was just one of those, uh, like when Dirk Diggler says, oh, I was just thinking of my name. Yeah. Um, you know, that it was like one of those simple things. Um, yeah. but yeah, I remember thinking like, I can't believe no one's, no one's done that before. It just, you know, it just seemed like it was tailor made that there's a band out there that should be called the Van Damned. And so Absolutely. I didn't. I didn't, I, I looked, but I, it hadn't been taken. So I figured why not? You got it. Not, you know, it. not that I'm, not that I'm the one with the mantle to like get the word out about, you know, the Van Damme, but. I feel like you are. I feel like if anything, it could be a creative leap that you make into, it could be like, you could write the story of the Van Damme, the, you know, the documentary of the Van Damme. You could weave. I've always thought that storytelling now with all the ability we have to link things and do things like I read both your memoirs on Kindle. You could have links to songs like, you know, and then create a multimedia reading experience that like, you know, kind of the Van Damme. It might be that might be your 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 thing. I, I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly not outside the realm of possibilities. Um and you know, this has probably been the first time that I've listened to that song in years. So uh, it's nice to like re. It's 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 been nice to revisit it with someone who's enthusiastic about it. Uh, you know, not not that it's necessarily like groundbreaking by any stretch, but just to to listen with someone who gets who gets it. Yeah, you know, who- I I love it. Um- we're uh, before we we fade out again due to Xfinity. This is the anti-commercial Xfinity that I pay extraordinary amounts for 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 my Wi-Fi and and uh, am getting boxed out right now in the middle of recording a podcast. Uh, so that's called the anti-commercial. Um, anyway, uh, what's going on for you in 2023? What do you, what do you got coming up in 2023? Uh, okay. So, um, I've got a couple of, uh, book ideas that I'm working on. Um, 
my my publisher I, I found a publisher that's really wonderful. I think they're based in Japan called Next Next Chapter. And they have a really quick turnaround time. So uh, it's been great to be able to send them things and it will come out that same year. Uh, other publishers usually wait. Um, they, their backlog goes about a year. So I will try to work with them to get more things out. Uh, I'm going to try to do another addendum to the memoir, uh, which which will, will be more about what the last year has looked like. Um, and then this is my final year of school. So my internship, uh, I have an internship that's going to begin, I think this week is the orientation. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, I, I, I used to like to imagine the, the next five years or so, I had a rough idea of what was going to happen. Uh, I think a lot of people probably like to imagine. Uh, but aside from knowing that I'll be you know, writing and, uh, recovering more and hopefully counseling at some point. Um, and then, uh, I, I would like to just, so my friend Heather and I, uh, do a show called happy hour with Heather and guest where we, um, play, where we, we will both analyze contemporary bands. Um, and so I'll be doing that. So that's, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people, their lives are, you know, filled with, um, you know, they have their job that they work, they're preparing for their retirement, they have a spouse or they have children, or they have things that take their time. I don't really have any of those things. So my time is filled with mostly creative endeavors. Um, and it took a while for me to feel comfortable that that was okay. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, I think we're always sort of conditioned to think like, well, you need that house and the car and the 2.5 kids and the, and the dog. Um, I think lately that's changed. I think more recently it's, it's become less, but, but when I was growing up, you know, in the eighties, nineties, that was sort of the brass ring. So, so I will be, uh, moving forward, you know, more books, more, more, uh, music. Um, perhaps I will write more Van Damme songs. Um, now that, uh, now that it was a warm reception, absolutely. But, uh, we will, and we will we've got it. Goes. We need some backstory on the Van Damme. I feel like it. You know, it could be, you know, one of the great metal metal bands that never was. You know, there's all these things that could fit into it. You know, devotion to the Dark Lord and Master. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I wrote an essay. I may have written an essay about it. And di- and I did create two like you know two personas who would be you know I think um, I think one of them was just named Hell. Uh, <laughs> he was just a, 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 a the moniker Hell, and then Rembrandt Van Payne instead Ooh, of Rembrandt Van Rain. That was I love it. So yeah, you, you, there there definitely could be a uh, yeah much, much. We have not seen the last of the Van Damme by any stretch. I love it. And, you know, you could go in the Dutch connection to New York, too. You know, I'm not trying to give you ideas. I'm not trying to butt my head in. But, you know, just workshopping, no, uh, spitballing I, here, you know. Yeah, well, if you're, I mean, this is, see, when I had mentioned before about difficulty with collaboration, this would be a, a worthwhile collaboration. So I'd love to, you know, to stay in touch with you and figure some things out. So off the top of my head. Cool. 
I, I'm in Michigan, hell, Michigan. We There is a city in Michigan, hell, Michigan. You know, like somehow the Van Dams uh, feels like it would tie in there. But uh, it's awesome. It's been great. Right. Andrew, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I wish you nothing but success on your journey, like deeply. And I do feel like we'll be in touch a fair amount going forward. Um, Brightsiders, please go to andrew-davie, that's D-A-V-I-E.com, to check out all Andrew's fabulous work, including his two memoirs, Land of Illusions, and Playing With House Money. He has the link to his podcast on there. Uh, those two books are both available on Amazon. Um, and I've also posted the link to his website on uh the description in this podcast, I urge you go check out all the great things he's doing. And, uh, you know, thanks again so much for being here with me and sharing your time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I truly appreciate the opportunity and it's been a a really fun time and I look forward to staying in touch with you. And that is bright side of the hump for this week. Thank you again to our excellent guest, Andrew Davey. And thank you to all of you who listen. Please remember to give us a good rating, subscribe, share, and otherwise get the word out about Bright Side of the Hump. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, please email me at brightsidemets at gmail.com. That's the word bright, the word side, and M-E-T-Z at gmail.com. I'm always interested in talking to people who have stories to tell talents to share, and want to have a little bit of fun. As always, stay positive and keep looking for the bright side of things. If you dig it, do it. And if you really dig it, do it twice. (laughs) All right, we're going to let Detroit rapper Trench Baby close us out with his song, Recognized. Hey, fuck all the talking you want me, come give me my niggas, don't care if y'all little niggas towing He wanna argue and text when I catch on my side, man, I swear he'd be different in person I'm trying to stay out that way with just me and the gang, I be busy, I'm running up tokens Fuck all the distance, just send me the Eddie and my niggas slide to something like lotion Fat, 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 five, five, sixes, he got the leaning like he off the potion He on the floor, steady begging for life, he was coughing up blue while we laughing and joking I'm really sliding in something that's stolen, I had to talk to my brother, I'm chosen I'ma get rich and I swear I'ma show him, he's sick, he's rapping, so I'ma keep going Exploring the city and getting it popping we scatter it now like a human of roaches Fuck all the hoes, bro, I'm tryna stay focused It ain't no love, I ain't showing emotion Broke all the body and he just been itching When we in the street, we just caught in a rolling Something like windows, we slide they open Janitor boys who the wet him and soaked them Fuckin' with hoes and me thinkin' with dicks Bro, I guess you ain't heard about me, she wrote it Chillin' with demons, I steal for free If a bag in the air, do you know they get on it? Never stay lacking, forever stay posted And I remember them nights, you know they're not lights But I swear we ain't never had motion Caught him at night, he was at a green light But he knew it, he grabbed me the doctor, I saw him Get in that room and start talking and folding. I was in I'm getting thug in love with that money, my paper was thick in the folders I'm on my way to the top, but I keep getting stopped Cause the devil can grab my shoulder I be up thinking at night, so confused about life It had changed ever since I got older Fuck that, dude got your pipe Hop out that hoop and start up in it, boy And he got the running from losing his life 30s and 40s, I'm tired of the talking So don't bring bodies, it's something I like Coming to shoot, I ain't coming to fight You just be talking and you never bothered If you really bothered, I'm coming at night Shout out your brother, he next to the angels And he really bigger than all of the fights I got a switch, yeah, I'm towing the dike Riding the strikers and getting 
get some money, I come from a struggle and riding bikes Me and my brother, we forever thuggy, you know we the toughest, you rolling the dice